1: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald-Times in Bloomington, along with WFIU News Director Stan Jastrebsky, And we're going to today talk with representatives from the Indiana Department of Homeland Security. Our guests here with us in the studio are Emergency Response and Recovery Division Director Arvin Copeland and Chief of Staff, Mike Garvey. You can join us on the program by calling eight five five zero eight one one, or 1-877-285-9348. And our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. You can send us an email question or comment. So uh, welcome. Thank you for being here Thank you guys. Thanks. Thank you, appreciate it. And Stan, good to be with you today. Good to be with you. All right. Well, it's going to be a, a busy weekend in Indiana and a busy summer. It's a, a busy time for for your department. I, I thought we might start though by having you sort of describe how the department came to pass. It's, it's five years old, as I understand it. That's Is correct, right? Mike. Mike. <clears> so, <throat> yes. So Mike Garvey will uh, yeah give us the first uh, answer.
2: Actually, uh, when uh, the governor came in, he took. Uh, five other agencies that uh, all were very busy in their own right and brought them under one umbrella known as the uh, Indiana Department of Homeland Security. That involved the Indiana Building Commissioner, uh, the Indiana State Fire Marshal, the Public Safety Training Institute, which already had responsibility for teaching all those emergency responders. <clears throat> the what previously was the Emergency Management Agency, which uh, like Arvin's responsibility is responding to and preparing for uh, disasters, man-made and uh, natural disaster, uh, as well as the uh, counter ter- counter the uh, counterterrorism and security council, which uh, was a fairly new group uh, to, to review the. Uh, Um, Homeland Security and terrorist uh, uh, threats uh, throughout Indiana and develop plans for that. Mm -hmm. So the governor brought all those together because of the synergy and really the commonalities it had uh, to serve that purpose better. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, the uh, this came to pass obviously after nine eleven and that's when I think a lot more people had their their attention um, their consciousness ratcheted up about about terrorism and and the need for security so you know you have an event here in in Indiana this weekend the, the Indianapolis five hundred that. Uh, one might think could be a, a target that you're going to have, you know, what, half a million people in Indianapolis together for that. Um, yeah. how, how does that, uh, I mean, what, what have you been doing? Obviously, you don't need to give me details, but what kinds of things have you been doing to sort of get ready for a weekend like that?
3: Well, one of the things we do is we, we get together and we collaborate with uh, the, the county and the other participating agencies that are involved with making the, the whole race a, a safe process. Um, you know, we have a tendency to prepare for the things that happen the most often, which are natural disasters in the state of Indiana. But uh, the thing we can't overlook is we've got some pretty um, important activities that, that occur in the state of Indiana, as you indicated mm-hmm. here. And the, the race brings several hundred uh, thousand people. And, uh, you know, we, we participate with Marion County, all the law enforcement, EMS, uh, FBI, state police. And we just get everybody together, collaborate um, and put a plan together to make it safe. Mm-hmm. We actually have several of our employees working uh, the parade and working the race this weekend uh, with one of our mobile platform vehicles with mm-hmm. the communications equipment in it. So um, it's just uh, having good situational awareness and being prepared.
1: Are, are, there, um, are there things that uh, a race fan might notice, a security measure that a race fan might notice that wasn't in place, say, before your, you know, before your uh, agency was developed?
3: Well, uh, you mean just the natural things well, I that mean, they, they may.
1: Do people get wanded when they go through? I mean, are the, are has are those kind
3: of security measures been picked up? Absolutely, absolutely. And and you you hit it right on the head, Bob. When you when you brought up nine eleven, um, obviously that did it heighten <coughs> our awareness and. Uh, you know it 's you know we live in America, the United States, and there, there are a lot of bad people out there that want to hurt us, and we need to be conscious of that and uh, so there is extra protection here um, there is uh, more security, there are more security checks. Um, it's not just a one check where you go in. There are, there are multiple security checks and uh, people just have to be patient. The lines will be longer, but uh, it's there and it's for everyone's safety.
4: What, are, what is the general MO of the Department of Homeland Security in the state? Are you more overt, more leadership oriented where people come to you and say, we'd like your help in putting this together? Or are you more behind the scenes and willing to help out with a bunch of different little things that other organizations are actually taking charge of?
2: I would say that's a combination of those, things. We Really, we uh, take a very proactive approach uh, and coordination is our major part of our job. So we're not always out there in the front. We're not a, a first response organization as much as we are a coordination group. So uh, – but it is a combination of that. We do go and, and we take uh, national models and, and – work with the locals to see if they've considered some of the threats that have either popped up or occurred or considered during other events. Uh, So we take lessons learned and we share those with the locals and see if they're learning from that. So really it's a combination.
4: When you say locals, you mean you're talking about working with local law enforcement agencies?
2: Correct. Local law enforcement, local emergency management agencies. Uh, It's not just a law enforcement. The contingency plans also include firefighting. It includes uh, surge for emergency medical services and hospitals. Uh, it really takes all those players, not only on a response part at the end, but on the front end of that in the planning. How do we handle that if there's a, an event would occur?
1: How and how are you uh, connected with the national homeland security people? Do you is there like a, a an organization that would like an umbrella organization that would connect all of you together? Do you have informal links with them?
3: We do. We have formal links and, and there's a process how we work together. But, you know, basically in a nutshell, and, and it and it rolls out this way that local agencies and local communities generally can handle most things that come their way. They reach out to us when they exhaust their resources. We help them out. When we exhaust our resources as a state, we reach out to adjoining states or the federal government. And that's basically in a nutshell how this progresses up. Mm-hmm. So that's the process of as far as reaching out and, and requesting resources. But obviously we work together as, as partners. I seem to remember that
1: uh, after Katrina, I think there were some – there were a lot of people from Indiana that were sent to Louisiana and, and I think I'm remembering we had a program on that and, and there was some um, interaction between the Indiana Department of Homeland Security and the folks down there. So that's kind of the basis of my question. So, yeah.
4: I wonder how your job has changed in the last five years. Is it different now than it was at its creation
2: Uh, yeah, it, it's continually changing. I, I think staying ahead of the um, potential threats is one area. Uh, five years ago, I don't think we had an awareness of cybersecurity um, and, and how that becomes a true threat to all of us, all the citizens of Indiana and how we need to be aware and prepared and how do we incorporate preparing and preventing and try to head off the cyber For instance, security uh, as well as the actual, if you will, the more traditional explosive type of event that could occur. Mm -hmm. So so there's new threats every day.
4: Does that mean you're developing new divisions within the organization to handle new threats like uh, cybersecurity problems as they arise and you're sort of branching off still to this day?
2: We really don't. We haven't really added a lot of people to that. It's, it's not necessarily people. We've taken our existing uh, structure. We have a planning and assessment stru- uh, division within our agency that, that, for instance, cybersecurity is leading that effort where their job is really to work, uh, for instance, with the Indiana Office of Technology, which is in charge of all the computer programs for the state of Indiana and, and the agency and help coordinate that. And, and they're very active. And very taken a very proactive approach to develop a uh, templates and, and a framework for cybersecurity. We know that there's new threats on the cyber world every day, and and yet we're trying to come up with some standards that every agency in the state of Indiana can follow. Um, certain mechanisms, you know, encrypted thumb uh, thumb drives instead of just loose uh, uh, storage devices and certain ways to use passwords, all the other technique and and actually be able to track where these threats are coming from or these attempted attacks may come from and then how to prevent them. So we've really taken existing staff and we've sort of changed their priorities maybe a little bit from planning uh, for this type of event and moving them to to other events.
1: Okay. We're talking today with uh, two representatives from the Indiana Department of Homeland Security. Um, Arvin Copeland is here with us, and so is Mike Garvey. Mike's the chief of staff. Arvin is the emergency response and recovery division director. If you want to join us on the show, please call us at 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. Our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. We're going to get to a lot of other things that you do, but I'm still – I'm sort of fascinated by this whole terrorism thing because I think Homeland Security, a lot of people do think about that. And I got to ask you because I'm a big fan of 24 which just went off. I got I mean, I, I've got to ask about uh, the impact of television shows like that to, you know, what you do. I mean, I'm sure that it, it brings in some ways it brings a lot more attention to the possibilities out there. And on the other hand, there's a lot of fiction involved in that. So are those shows that, that sort of make your job easier or harder?
3: You know, there is a lot – obviously, Bob, there's a lot of fiction there and it does make it great. It makes our job look that much more uh, greater and and more important. But – and I'm a big fan of 24 also. Um, You know, if if we had all the technology that they have in TV, it would be wonderful. But, uh, you know, our job is what it is and – you know the bad guys are getting smarter and we have to get smarter we have to improve our technology as we are and mike hit on that with the cybersecurity and uh, um, and you know it's and i come from the fire side of it and the business that we're in you have to know you have to be and i compare it to like a utility player on a baseball team you have to know you have to know it all you have to know you have to know the fire side the law side the ems the public works um, and you and you have to have an understanding of the radiological issues that we can have, and so it's just a very broad base uh, type of emergencies we have to understand. And once again, you, you talk about terrorism; we have to understand how the bad guys work, um, what they look like uh, in, in regards to their 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 actions of 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 citing places out, and just the. You know, we have to just understand it better.
1: Well, you know, you mentioned a lot of the different things you have to get involved with. One of them in the last 12 months, six months was was the flu. I mean your your office was involved in trying to prepare Indiana for the, the flu pandemic. Can you uh, go into a little bit about what your role was with that, Mike? Well,
2: we uh, – in Indiana, the Indiana Department of Health was actually the lead agency in our uh, – um, flu fight or preparing Indiana for that uh, potential event. Uh, but we we supported them in um, the logistical needs. We know that if we were going to uh, vaccinate – attempt to vaccinate 6 million in our population of Indiana, <clears throat> that we needed to have equipment, security, storage, transportation of the vaccines all done within some sense of security – uh, an effective mechanism. So we, we really played a very supportive role to the Indiana State Department of Health. Mm-hmm. We also worked to bring in local partners, um, which is very important, local health departments, local hospitals, local emergency management directors to develop those systems within the same types of systems locally. Mm-hmm. We also worked uh, with state agencies. We, we had meetings frequently with uh, department of Agriculture, uh, manufacturers, to make sure the the water, the utility companies, to make sure that uh, did they have the proper planning and the contingencies built in to handle their responsibilities if forty to fifty percent of their employees were off sick. Mm-hmm. So, we worked very much behind the scenes in that case to to support the local health department efforts, uh, state department of health efforts, as well as bring in other uh, players. Department of Education was a Big player in that with the schools,
4: mm-hmm. Arvin. You mentioned uh, thinking about how the bad guys are adapting and operating. And is it worth uh, the public thinking about it in that way? To, do you think about it in in a sort of good guys versus bad guys way? Do you think about your job
3: in that fashion? You know, I hate to say this, uh, Stan, but you know, you, you would be naive to be in my type of position and not think of it that way. Um, there are certainly uh, there are characteristics that we like to um, educate um, our citizens and, and particularly our staff as to what the bad guys do. And I say bad guys for not a better term than that, but there's just people trying to hurt our citizens of, of the state of Indiana and the United States. but. Uh, you know, and, and what we do is we certainly impress upon people that anything that looks unusual, anything that is out of character to, to your norm or to your understanding of your community or your surroundings, is certainly is noteworthy to, to note it and to tell somebody uh, of official capacity. Uh, the worst it could be is harmless information that's not used. The best it could be is you could stop something from happening. So to answer your question, Stan, yeah, absolutely. I think about it every day.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, we have a phone call. Let's go to uh, Alan on the phone. Alan? Yes. Hey, go? go ahead. I have
2: a question for your person there. You were just talking about flu and last year, and I'm 67 years old, and when I contacted various local agencies, Um, I was told by the Monroe County Health Department, don't bother, you're too old, you're immune. But other sources, uh, pharmacies and people within the uh, area that were selling the H1N1 flu shots kept saying, oh, you should get it. And there seemed to be a great deal of confusion and absolutely no consensus regarding this was appropriate. For a 67-year-old male, mm-hmm. would you care to comment,
1: please? Well, let me remind you that our guests are from the Department of Homeland Security, so uh, they can comment, but you may want to check with the Department of Health. But Right, Arvin? but
2: they were just talking about sure. the flu uh-huh. epidemic. Mm-hmm. Right, and I think this is one area that we work very closely with the Indiana Department of Health as well as the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention from Atlanta, um, and one of the issues that surrounded that uh, issue of who should and who shouldn't uh, was, one, the amount of vaccine that was actually available. And obviously, as that ramped up, more people could get the vaccine. But also is how that, vac- how that flu virus would be c- carried from one person to another. We knew that the, the uh, children were uh, – little germ monsters, if you will, and would carry that two families and two back to their homes. And so our, the priorities did tra- sort of change as that flu fight occurred, um, started with youngsters, people who had responsibility to take care of youngsters. Um, clearly at this point in time, we sh- the, the recommendation is everybody should. Now the H1N1 should be part of the seasonal flu vaccine next year. And we encourage everybody to get that flu shot.
4: Today. Does this speak to your agency's role in terms of information gathering and dissemination as well and your, your efforts on that front?
2: Without a question. Uh, you know, I would say there's a big gap between information, which there's a lot of them there. You can find it on the internet. You can find information on every news news channel. Uh, But taking that information and creating good intelligence out of it is a major portion of our job is we we sort of collect all that. We we analyze it with the true uh, experts and then we hope to get that information out to the public of what's correct.
1: Mm-hmm. That's what Stan does here too. Yeah. <laughs> Intelligence good, expert. Good
3: job. I, you know, and I would just like for Alan Collardson to know that the early decision as far as who gets the shots and who shouldn't was a tactical decision based on the supplies at hand. So – Obviously, we wanted to get the more at-risk patients uh, – Once, I actually, uh, it's, it was a health care decision – was to get the, the majority of the people who are at risk. So I, I hope uh, Alan understands that.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Again, our phone numbers are 855-0811, 877-285-9348. The website is wfiu.org slash noon edition.
4: How difficult is it to get an entire state over the course of five years now or, or even going forward to make – the changes that your department feels are necessary to make to keep everybody safe or safer than we were post 9-11 or pre the creation of your agency?
2: Well, by far, public education and awareness, I think, is one of our hardest things we do uh, because we do have six million people in the state of Indiana that all play a role. The citizens truly are our most important partners that we have when it comes to, um, especially with terrorism, where we may not be able to print prevent every event, but it's up to that citizens. You know, if they see something, they need to say something, and we need to educate them. Uh, we um, that, that's that's a very difficult thing, but it is the most important thing that we hope to to do in the next uh, few years is increase that awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, some ways they do. We take advantage of some of the shows i think twenty four and other shows, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, but again, separating the truth from the
3: facts may be a little bit different mm-hmm.
1: what what 's your role with the uh, airports in the state?
3: Do you have a, a role with them we We certainly communicate and uh, uh, collaborate uh, quite a bit with the uh, with the airports um, as a matter of fact uh, they they were just over at the uh, EOC just a week ago and uh, conversed with uh, and had meetings with the uh, the staff in the EOC, uh, discussed communications. Um, and uh, it, it basically, uh, Bob, it's just a matter of keeping those communications lines open and understanding how each operates and and being able to – uh, get a hold of one another in the times of need. So mm-hmm. it's once again a lot of collaboration going on. Yeah,
1: again, there's probably no place that people notice uh, the ramped up security in the country more mm-hmm. than at the airport. So that was why I wanted to ask about that. We have a phone call. It's Sarah on the phone. Sarah?
5: Well, actually, I don't, I assume this is a ramped up security question. Uh, the new driver's license arrangement uh, requirements, and in my case, uh, uh, dr- Uh, photo ID requirements uh, seem to me much stricter and I need to renew mine in, in June because I'm a woman who's been married for many years I find I now need not only to prove my birth you know take in my birth certificate but take in some proof of my name change lo these 52 years ago um this is complicated. Is this because of Homeland Security?
2: It, it's really Indiana is in, is be, is in, becoming in compliant with the national standards for uh, drivers' license and the identification system, which is the most common. So it's it's not necessarily an Indiana initiative. It's Indiana being compliant with the national standards for that. And I would encourage you before you take the trip to the department bureau of motor vehicles is you can call them and and they've got some uh, great people that will be able to explain exactly what those requirements are
5: well, cuz no,
2: you sure don't want to waste a trip to go to the BMV. so
5: Thank you you're right and I've already done that Good but good I just read the process nonetheless All right okay, Thank
1: okay. Sarah thanks a lot for the call uh we're going to take a short break our phone number is again 8550811 The website, WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. We're talking about the uh, Indiana Department of Homeland Security. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
6: You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Telephone Information at smithville.net and from Mother Bear's Pizza at motherbearspizza.com. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, They're archived on our website, wfiu.org, and the best features from each week can be heard Saturday mornings at 745.
1: Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of The Herald-Times, along with WFIU News Director Stan Jastrzewski. Today we're talking with two representatives from the Indiana Department of Homeland Security. Emergency Response and Recovery Division Director Ar- Arvin Copeland is here, and Chief of Staff Mike Garvey is here with us today. You can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. And our website is slash. Noon edition. Um, since we're here on a college campus, I, I know that uh, you know, there've been incidents on campuses in you know various places like uh, what Virginia Tech and I don't know elsewhere that that you know make everybody a little bit nervous. And there's a there, there are preparedness committees on campus, and I noticed on your website that you do have a campus safety and emergency preparedness committee. That there's an advisory board. Um, could one of you talk a little bit about how that came about or at least about the um the increased um risks i guess that colleges are facing today
2: yeah i think uh that 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 organization was actually formed probably 5 years ago now pretty much soon soon after our agency was developed um and uh it it really brings together um it's an opportunity to kind of share best practices, if you will, from all the universities. I think every university in Indiana has somebody coordinating those security uh, homeland security issues uh, again maybe it 's security, maybe it 's uh, uh, you know identification things it's notification's a big issue on the universities where if you have an event, how do you notify that many? Diverse people uh, that are so spread out in a, in a matter of minutes of an event that it may occur. Uh, and we've really brought those people together to share those expertise and, and really to be, uh, again, an information sharing system, not only from national experts we've brought in to talk to that group, but also uh, amongst themselves. There's some great practices being done in Indiana.
4: Okay, It brings up an interesting issue of communication I think that works uh, as a conversation point around here. You've got a campus which is very wired and you've got people who almost all have email accounts and cell phones and whatnot and yet you go one or two counties away from here. You've got some very rural areas of the state where it's difficult to get high-speed internet access. Mm -hmm. What – are your responsibilities in terms of trying to find a way to contact all of these people regardless of the ways in which they believe they want to be communicated with
2: well I think that's uh, I think that that's a great point, and whether that's during an emergency or in uh, awareness and preparedness issues uh, we we try to use some of the i mean we still I don't want to say that today but we still use radio and television and not just the internet. We know that uh, it's still a more frequent way of communicating with the general public. Uh, We also – during an emergency, uh, I know there's been a lot of uh, controversy if you will or some question about the use of uh, air raid – I call them air raid sirens. I didn't want to date myself but uh, (laughs) hazard sirens or weather sirens. And we know that those are just a piece of the pie. Uh, we really would love to see everybody to uh, go out and purchase and and have in their house an all hazards radio under the NOAA system that will alert you when something's getting ready to happen or has happened in your area. So so it's really got to be a very multiple again whether it's a, during an emergency or whether it's for preparedness and and readiness issues. Uh, it's a very diverse approach because you know, we know that. Not everybody has uh, high-speed Internet connectivity
1: at this point. Can you talk a little bit more about the hazard radios? How do they work and what what do you hear on them?
3: Well, uh, what you hear is is you hear all types of weather events that are coming your way. Now, all radios are differently, Bob, but uh, you can program them to get information from your particular county, your quadrants of two or three counties away. Uh, but basically, it just gives you the uh, weather report of inclement weather coming your way from the National Weather Bureau. Um, there can be um, amber alerts put out on them. So, um, once again, it's just a it's a it's a very good, reliable piece of equipment that you can have in your own home, and it's something that you don't have to uh, be reliant on um, technology. It doesn't have electricity and go out. And it can be battery back. So, um, just a good good piece of equipment to have in your home. Mm-hmm. Now,
1: you know, we, you do a lot with natural disasters, flooding, uh, weather events, just various things that. That happened. Do you have a uh, sort of a a standard um, weather preparedness um, kit that you would suggest that people have? I mean, what should people have in their homes when tornado season, when a tornado may rip through, or when the you know the big blizzard may be coming?
2: We do, and uh, you know, there are basically some pretty basic steps that people need to follow. Uh, including just being aware, uh, you know, we, we say make a plan. Uh, most of the plans that people would make uh, for their own home and their residents and their community smaller communities uh, would be the same whether it's uh, for a tornado, a, an earthquake risk that we have in south southeastern Indiana uh, or really all of western Indiana. So yeah, you know, make a kit, uh, develop a plan. Uh, keep aware, and that 's where the radio systems come in place. but we do have on our website uh, a list of things that should be in there we We think people should have drinking water for every member of their family uh, enough for two or three days worth of uh, drinking water because in a very big event, such as a tornado or such as an earthquake, it may be a couple of days before that assistance will flow to your community or in your neighborhood so yeah, medications that can last for a couple of days. Basic principle is what you need to survive for seventy-two hours uh, on your own.
1: And how does that differ in somebody who may live in a in a flood zone? You know, we're two years out now. I think two years from the big floods in Martinsville, Columbus. I mean, really, this part of the state, Bloomington, escaped fairly well. But this part of the state was really devastated by those floods. But you know, if you have three days of food in your home and your home gets flooded out, I mean, so what? What kinds of uh, preparedness can people? can people make or have if they're in an area that could be prone to flooding?
3: Sure. Bottom line is just situational awareness. People that are in flood-prone areas obviously need to know that and be ready to evacuate at any time. Uh, Once again, we always recommend uh, listening to the radio, listening to to the news uh, as to see what's coming your way, too. But... uh, you know, the the kit is, as Mike indicated, the kit is something you put together, put it in a five-gallon bucket or some secure area, and once again, be able to self-sustain yourself for 72 hours. Things that are going to hit immediately, uh, flash flooding, things like that, you just need to have some situational awareness on your own. People need to be... Uh, they need to take their own responsibility too of their their surroundings and their families. And uh, so it's public education. We need to get that out there to them. Mm-hmm. I was talking about this program with my assistant news director, Daniel
4: Robison, this morning. And he reminded me of a story from a few years ago where each state was asked to put together a list if its possible – terrorist targets and Indiana came back with by far the most, uh, something like 85 or 8,600 of them. I wonder if that list is still maintained and if it has been amended since the flap over the fact that a, a popcorn factory and other things, a petting zoo, were on Indiana's
3: list. Well, what's funny is, is what's critical to one person or community may not be critical to another. We need to remember all of that and understand that. But, uh, and that, that critical facility list will, will be changing and ongoing. And, uh, but uh, it's, it's still a long list in the state of Indiana. We have some critical facilities here, obviously. Uh, that we, you know, we don't talk about them, but, but we do have a long list. Um, and uh, we, uh, we certainly be, uh, stay prepared, too. So have we been adding to the list in the last three or four years? Has
4: it gotten longer than the eighty-five or eighty-six hundred that it started with?
2: I would categorize it as that list has become more refined over the eighty-five years. Uh, (laughs) I think there's a better understanding today than there was then of what that risk is, what is the threat, what what is a vulnerability. I mean, um, what is the true vulnerability of a terrorist attack on a popcorn factory? Yeah. Uh, so there's a, more realism, more assessment of what makes you – what brings you to that list and uh, we've now moved that list into a critical infrastructure program. Where uh, I would say it's much more refined, and, and probably not nearly as long as it was uh, several years. CA:
4: so What, I, what I, you're telling me is you're tired of people like me asking you about. No, this. <laughs> I, no I,
3: I think it's a good question. I'm <laughs> just glad that Stan's adding some humor to the program. <laughs> right,
4: right.
1: If I, I mean, if I remember right, the, the various communities sent in their yes. list, so if in Bern, Indiana, that popcorn factory is one of the crucial businesses, employers then the burn people maybe think that should be on the list. So. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And it is. I mean, yeah. e- you know, <laughs> e- economical impact is, uh, is a big thing as far as any, any disaster, whether it's mm-hmm. man-made or natural. And, and if, if you've got 70% of your population working at this one plant, that's a critical infrastructure for your community. We, no
4: we joke about it a little bit, but was Indiana in some ways a leader in, in getting these lists out? I mean, there was flap that the state of New York talked, after this because it didn't include the Empire State Building or the Brooklyn Bridge or things like that. So uh, despite the fact that Indiana was kind of laughed at by some people for having such a large number, are there lessons to be learned from the way that Indiana actually went
3: through and has continued to go through this process? Well, I think if there are lessons to learn, I think the lessons would be learned at the, the local governmental level is, to, is to, for them to understand and, and identify what their critical agencies are and facilities are. You know, as a nation, we, we, um, we, we select critical facilities that affect the country as a whole and, and large areas of the, of the country. But for local governmental entities to, and governments to understand what's critical to them is, is absolutely important to identify. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I I would think uh, again another area that we really haven't talked about um, that I think probably most most local communities would say are incredibly uh, important are water supplies. And I know Bloomington's just been through a big debate about what how what to do to increase the water supply. One of the ideas is there there needs to be redundancy in the system. So uh, I guess the question would be: Is is the Department of Homeland Security looking at or hearing more about? You know, protecting water supplies in the state.
3: Well, we we don't get involved as much into um, the the educational part of protecting water our water flows. I mean, there is another agency. It's a bit out of our lane. But what we do get into is the water supply. We want to make sure that we have plenty of water on supply in, in case of the shortage. Or going back to the floods of '08. there was many water shortages that uh, we were transporting uh, several hundred gallons of water to communities. And uh, so as far as the logistical part of it, the supplies and getting the resources, we certainly are concerned about that. And, uh, I mean, we, we have those commodities housed, ready to go, ready to go out to the people in need, too. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. The website is WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. We're talking with uh, representatives from the Indiana Department of Homeland Security. Uh, I wanted to – I want to talk about – the budget and economics a little bit because you know the governor had has asked um, I think all all state agencies to reduce their budgets by five percent or more and uh, you know there've been various cuts over time. Um, I was looking at. Uh, your website and a, and a newsletter from the director of your agency that says uh, basically in the public safety business, um, resource reductions do not equal an excuse to haul up the white flag was – were his words exactly, that the uh, the expectation is that we're going to be safe and secure in our homes, in our state, in our communities, whatever. doesn't matter about budget issues but still you have to make some budget cuts. So what have you had to do to cut back and how how does that – does or does that not impact you know, the job you can do?
2: Well, fortunately for our agency – and it has impacted us. I think it's impacted the entire state of Indiana. I mean obviously economic uh, – of the recent downturn has impacted all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, fortunately for our agency, we function a lot. We utilize, and I think, do a good job of utilizing uh, federal grants, grants to get programs going and to establish uh, some of the things we have. And so, we have taken a very serious look at all of our expenses. We've we have uh, you know maybe left positions vacant uh, longer than nor- what we normally would have done. So. We've really absorbed the uh, the cutbacks and programs that would not have a direct impact on our citizens. We think that's that's what we're there for, is the citizens. So uh, we've been able to manage uh, the the budget reversions uh, uh, without uh, a direct impact on our uh, public safety programs to this point.
3: Mm -hmm. So no programs have been cut. Other. None and, and, and you know Mike, Mike speaks as a whole uh, agency. I can certainly speak from uh, my division and, and what I've asked my staff to do, and one of the things we 're doing is we 're cross training we're having several of our employees do different types of jobs that they wouldn't normally do through attrition um, and another thing too, from my position as the uh, director, I am certainly scrutinizing uh, the the budget requests and certainly being, being good stewards of our tax dollars and Mike certainly hit it on the head when he said the, talked about federal. Dollars. We we utilize our federal grants um, significantly, and our state dollars have gone down. And while they've gone down, we still have those federal dollars and uh, do make do with the best we can. Mm-hmm.
4: There are, of course, cities and towns across the state that have had to cut firefighters mm-hmm. and police officers and ambulance services and things like that. Have you and and folks in your department been receiving phone calls from people in these cities saying, "How can you help? Can you help us fill in the gaps? We feel we're not being as." Uh, we're not serving our population locally as well as we possibly could?
2: One of the ways that um, – yes, we have. We've had some of those calls and one of the things that we've sort of initiated uh, really a couple of years ago and keep working with is development of some district uh, resources and, and – and task. we call them district uh, response task forces We're To help local communities, maybe not every community needs to go out and buy a 150-foot aerial truck, but they need access to a 150-foot aerial truck. So we try to work and get them to work in a district concept to where they have the resources. They have specialty rescue teams. They have water rescue teams rope rescue teams, um, collapsed structure rescue teams, availability of that, but they don't necessarily have to spend all their money and expenditures (coughs) developing their own. So that's one of the things we've really looked at is how do we develop our public safety system and our fire emergency medical services systems. On a district basis. So the services are there, but the actual expenditures may be spread out over a 10-county area, for instance.
4: Are there good examples of, of areas in the state that have begun to find these efficiencies and share resources more effectively that you can think of?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I, it's been a – truthfully, it's been a success statewide. We have 10 of those dist- – we have 10 10- – Homeland Security Preparedness Districts uh, statewide. Um, For instance, Bloomington is in District 8. They meet on a regular basis. Uh, The healthcare persons, the hospital people meet on a regular basis. The firefighters meet. The emergency medical services and law enforcement people all meet and they are beginning to share responsibilities. So if somebody has got a special event occur. Instead of having maybe to absorb that over time only within our own department, they'll ask for mutual aid help from the other departments, and it's been a huge success, I think.
3: Yeah, and in my area also, um, Stan, <clears throat> I live in the Hamilton County area, and um, it appears that all the departments up there, the fire departments up there, had uh, hazmat teams. Well, they recognize that it's it's expensive to keep these teams up, keep all the equipment. Um, so a couple of them have dropped it, and um, they're they're sharing resources, sharing equipment. Um, so that's just one small example, but you get that uh, throughout the state of Indiana, and, and it eventually does pay off.
1: Uh, we're heading into the summer, and, and there are a couple of things that you're. Offices involved with one is uh, fireworks, another is is uh, looking at the amusement uh, rides at at various fairs. I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about those. Um, your the the problem or the issue of fireworks in the state of Indiana. We've had changes in the laws. I mean, the law a few years ago was. You sign a paper say i 'm not going to shoot these in Indiana but they'd still sell them to you i don't I don't know what the law is now but um, you know what what does your office do to get involved with uh, regulating the use of fireworks
2: well well we're active on a couple uh, fronts with the fireworks one is the retail uh, fireworks uh, locations we ensure that uh, where these fireworks are stored and sold out of, whether it 's a a tent or whether it 's a a temporary stand or a permanent structure um, a year round facility uh, meet fire code so that uh, that the material within it the building itself is safe and uh uh, citizens and our firefighters in case something would happen there are safe if they had to respond there. So, we take care of the, the storage por- portion of that. We regulate the uh, sell of those fireworks, who can sell them, uh, where they can be sold. Uh, but we also uh, deal with the display. We, we To uh, have a fireworks display, uh, a large commercial, doing, you have to have a permit which incorporates approval from local fire authorities and local communities have to be involved. Uh, as well as uh, you know we we don 't want just anybody out there selling uh fireworks and fireworks stand. there 's regulations now that you have to be eighteen years of age to to sell fireworks and uh we We know that it 's a concern of our citizens of you know the neighbor going to burn my house down with bottle rockets and uh, uh, setting off fireworks at three o 'clock in the morning, and we actually have regulations of when and uh, where those fireworks can be. Those are reasons so. you
4: don't want to live next to the Salzburg house. Right. right, right, right. <laughs> now my dogs don't like it. Either. <laughs>
2: and the other thing I think I think it's interesting, you know, fireworks is a $50 million industry in the state of Indiana every year. We're not going to do away with fireworks stands. And yet there's some people on that side of the argument that would love to do that. Mm-hmm. I think we've made a very good use of there's now a special tax um, program with fire so all fireworks where partial of that money goes to our state disaster relief fund, so in case of a flood or in case of a tornado, there's a funding source to assist citizens and uh, if they need something to help rebuild their home or uh, or if a local community needs help you know fixing a road uh, but also that tax money portion of that tax money it goes into our state firefighting training fund or regional firefighter training fund, where we use that money from fireworks, sale. To actually enhance and improve our state's uh, firefighter training program throughout the state.
1: Now you mentioned that you have to be 18 to sell fireworks. How, how old do you have to be to buy them?
2: You know, I don't know right offhand. <laughs> I, I believe there's a, an 18 year I believe 18 years old as well.
1: It would seem logical. Yeah. I and know. I
2: think it's a you know, every stand has to be permitted. And I think hmm. it's one thing that citizens. We talk about partners. Citizens are our most important partners mm-hmm. and if a citizen goes in to buy fireworks and doesn't see a permit plainly displayed in the thing, they should really give us a call because uh, it could be an illegal fireworks stand uh, and we want we, – we, that's not fair to the good business practices of the state and it could be an unsafe environment. And you so, want to
1: make sure that money – some of that money is going to – Exactly.
2: We we, we make good, good use. use of that money right. from the fireworks sale.
1: All right. Uh, we have a phone call. Let's go to Louise on the phone. Louise? Hello. Hi.
0: Yeah, um, the people on the air mentioned the weather radio, which in theory seems like a great idea. But I used to have one, and it would wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning warning me about a thunderstorm on the north side of Indianapolis. And since I live in Bloomington, that was not very helpful at all, so I eventually threw it away. Um, Is there some better way of getting more focused information besides going online and just looking out my window? Well, there is.
3: There is. And uh, I can't answer the question for your particular weather radio, but there are weather radios that you can program to just uh, give information in quadrants, in areas, and you can actually program that area in and, and figure, um, I mean, you could have done it just in your, the area that you live. So basically just programming in what you want to hear.
0: But I'm just an ordinary citizen. I don't want to go out and buy a $200 radio just for the occasional tornado.
3: Sure. Well, let me give you this recommendation. And, and I'm a former EMA director at the local level also, and we did this in in our counties. We would We would advertise that we would program anyone's weather radio... And you can buy those for forty, fifty bucks at Radio Shack. So, what I would recommend is I do some research just to make sure that it is one that you could program into separate quadrants uh, of information to receive. And then, secondly, once you get that, then I would just uh, contact your local EMA director, um, and I'm certain he could find someone to help you program it. That's that's what we're in the business here for.
0: Um, that's that's not a very strong public help. You know, for me to go out individually and try and find this weird individual who I don't know after I find this weird radio, I mean, couldn't you do this in a more public fashion, like do it at the farmer's market or something like that?
3: Well, it could be. Uh, once again, um, you know, we're promoting this because we think that these are radios that work. But, uh, I mean, you could obviously, you certainly get your uh, local public safety people involved and, uh, I mean, it's just something you need to reach out to them for. They They work for you, ma'am.
2: And actually, we are uh, engaged in a program uh, currently, and they're being distributed as we speak this uh, month, uh, working through uh, some local radio stations. I know WFIU has participated in the past, and I actually give away some radios. Uh, The uh, Boy Scouts are uh, working with us this year to uh, help do this at, at fairs and through their communities to identify people that are Maybe can't afford their own radio. Uh, and we've actually distributed uh, several hundred of these radios statewide. And so we're working on a statewide approach mm-hmm. to actually have giveaway of these radios. We do think it is a, a very good option for communications and emergency.
0: Several hundred statewide? You just said there are six million people in Indiana. Uh, That's not yeah. very many radios. <laughs>
1: Louise there are probably lots of ways you can uh, go about this. You could call the local EMA and also if you wanted to subscribe to our cell phone alerts on heraldtimesonline.com, we'd send you a local self weather alert that would come to your cell phone or your web or, or your uh your computer and you know it, it would beep you at three in the morning okay, it would the only local lot. okay thanks thanks Louise all right eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight it's we only have about five minutes to go um, in the program, um, I wanted to mention very briefly the um, amusement rides because I, I know these fairs come through all the time, and you know how safe are they
2: I, I think if you look uh, statistically they are pretty safe in indiana we uh, we have had some uh, a few tragic events occur in the state of Indiana where children and adults alike may have been hurt on an amusement ride. And several years ago, we established a program where every amusement ride in the state of Indiana is inspected uh, before it's utilized in the state of Indiana. And and we encourage citizens to look for that permit. Uh, We know that there's companies that may move in and set up in a Shopping center parking lot on Friday and be gone on Saturday night, and uh, you know we want to make sure that those rides are just as safe as the ones that are permanently uh, established in an amusement uh, park someplace. So the inspection process is very good. I think in Indiana we've made great strides in making it a safe uh, thing, but we need the citizens' help. There may be some that, that have not been inspected, and if you don't see that. Amusement ride, check with the owners. Uh, If they don't get satisfaction, check with us. Uh, You can call our office, communicate through our webpage, and we will be glad to uh, immediately come out and take a look at that ride and make sure
4: it's safe. You you were saying off the air that uh, it it could be difficult when you have to look at everything from mechanical bowls to buildings in terms of your your safety procedures, is it, is it difficult to train people in all of these various disciplines and do you have enough people to handle all of these disciplines and have enough expertise to do them as well as they possibly could be done?
2: Well, we could always use more people but uh, we, we know what we have and we do the very best with what we have uh, currently uh, and, and sometimes we have to uh, – um, prioritize those inspections. The same people that do amusement rides also inspect uh, the 17,000 elevators that are in a, the state of Indiana. So we try to time that out in Indiana. We're non-amusement ride season. We were very busy inspecting elevators and wheelchair lifts and those devices. So we're prepared at the beginning of March or, April or February, March uh, to begin the, ele- the, uh, the amusement ride. So we, we try to time that out. Uh, I think we do a pretty good job of keeping up with those uh, requirements.
1: All right. We have run out of time. I want to thank you both for being here. You have a, an incredibly difficult job and wide-ranging job. I think we've we've proven that today. I want to thank our guests today, Arvin Copeland and Mike Garvey, both with the Indiana Department of Homeland Security. For my partner today, Stan Jastrzewski for engineer um, – Ariana Prothero, and, oh, engineer Mike Pashkash, and producer Ariana Prothero. I promoted her today. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening.
2: Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times.